You see? Here in the power of Christ, we stand. Not just one person, the church body. That's what it's about. As, as you know, we, we have been uh, starting going through Acts as we prepare for Easter here. We finished Acts chapter 1 last week. And we're going to go into Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21 today. Why Pentecost matters to us. I don't know if any of you ever thought about that before. Anyway, I'm so glad you guys are here. I'm so glad you guys are here. You know, some days just seem to matter a whole lot more than others, don't they? They do. I mean, June 6th, 1944. I don't know if anybody remembers what that was about, but that was D-Day invasion of Normandy. Big part of history back then. November 22nd, 1963. I remember this one. I was in fifth grade. Assassination of JFK. <laughs> July 21st, 1969. Anybody remember what that is? Huh? Neil Armstrong walks on the moon. <laughs> uh, yeah, November 24th. <laughs> Cindy and I got married on November 24th. <laughs> what a difference a day makes. <laughs> what a difference a day makes. Pentecost in Acts 2 was one of those big, big days. In fact, it was one of the most important days in the history of the whole world, when you stop and think about it, only surpassed by the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only surpassed by those. God, he was paving the way for Pentecost with the coming of Jesus Christ. And if there was no Christmas, no cross, no Easter, there would be no Pentecost. Well, Pentecost could also not happen until the Lord Jesus went home to be glorified in heaven. Uh, Paul described this glorification of Jesus in Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11, when he said, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the day of Pentecost that we're gonna talk about today in Acts, matters greatly to God. So it should matter to us as well, shouldn't it? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just pray you bless this time, Father. Bless the hearts that are here that you would make clearer to all of us, Father, what your words are and what they bring to us, Lord. And what your purposes are, Father. In Pentecost, in, in all that you've put in your word, Father, may we follow your word, your truth, your truth is the only truth there is, Lord. And may we always stand firm in that. And we say this in Jesus' precious name, amen. 
Okay, so Pentecost matters, first of all, right? Okay, because it was a new dispensation in God's plan. Hmm. Luke tells us how this new dispensation began. He says in, in verses 1 through 4, he says, Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And then Wilson talking about a Honda, right? And, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as if of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as on fire, and, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The amazing and miraculous events that, that we're talking about here were ushered in, ushering in this new dispensation of God's plan. Now dispensation is a word probably we don't really use that much and probably I don't use it at all probably. But the original word simply means the way of something is ordered or administered or managed or taken care of. That's what the dispensation means. So in Ephesians 3.2, Paul talked about the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. And in Ephesians 1.10, Paul talked about God's purpose, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. So the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 marked the beginning of a new dispensation on this earth. In other words, it's a new chapter in the way God would take care of his world here. A new, new chapter in the way that God would work on us, on men. On that day, God, the Holy Spirit, came in a, very, a way that had never come before. And Jesus told us about this event ahead of time, really. In John 7, 37 and 39, he, Jesus said, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of what? Living waters. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So in Acts 2, Jesus had already been crucified and was risen from the dead. And then back in Acts 1 and 1 4, Jesus commanded his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem, and so they did. They waited. Then came the day of Pentecost. It was 10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven, it was 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. And on this day of Pentecost, the Lord promised. The Lord's promise was fulfilled as the Holy Spirit came in great power. The church was born. Church, we were born then. The world moved into dispensation of grace, and we are still living in that age of grace, friends. We are. <laughs> now, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ literally comes to live in every one of us who accept and receives Jesus as our Lord and Savior. 
We know that as the part of the plan of salvation. So Romans 8, 9, and 10 says to the Christians, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. You see, Pentecost matters to us because it was a new dispensation in God's plan. But also because it was a great dispensation and a demonstration of God's power. Listen again to verses 2 and 3 where it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as if a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and set upon each of them. That'd be pretty creepy, wouldn't it, if we saw that happening? It was unusual, but it was a great demonstration of God's power, wouldn't you say? You know, God's Spirit was at work in this amazing way when the church was born. And we must not, really, we can't lose sight of this truth as we go through all of the week-to-week -week routine and activities we do in church. Don't lose sight of the purpose and why we're here. You know, when we're sitting there uh, making coffee for Sunday or making copies for children's church or rehearsing songs or changing diapers in the nursery or any of that, you know, stuff or just, well, we have a robot to vacuum, so that's okay, but... <laughs> Friends, as we go through this week-to-week -week routine of this church life, we must never forget that God's Spirit is at work in an amazing way when the church was born. And He still is today, right here, right now. And in your church in Medford, He's still at work. He's going. He's going. That's, you know, Melvin Newland said this about how church started. He says, sometimes, you know, we think we know what we're doing, don't we? And sometimes we act as though we think Simon Peter called this meeting of the apostles. And Peter told them, okay, we're ready to start talking about whether we're going to start a church or not. So they discussed it for a while. And, and then James makes a motion to start a church and John seconds the motion. And they voted 10 to 2 to start a church. So they start a church in Jerusalem, right? Of course not. That isn't, it didn't happen that way, did it? No. Verse 2 said, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing of mighty winds. Where did the sound come from? Heaven. From heaven. Not from Peter, James, or John, or anybody else. God gave birth to the church. But why did he do it like this? Why did he do that? Why did God send rushing mighty wind and tongues of fire? Why did he do that? Well, <laughs> church, it must have been partly because the Lord wanted to have the signs of the Holy Spirit coming at that time to be part of what the church is and part of who we are. He wanted his people to have a sure evidence that the Holy Spirit had come into this world. The Lord wanted us to know that the coming of his Holy Spirit was not just some kind of spiritual symbolism or routine or whatever, or wishful thinking. The coming of the Holy Spirit 
was a profound reality in the lives of everyone who believe. And God sent his Holy Spirit with compelling physical evidence on the day of Pentecost so, so that we would know he literally came to us in a spiritual way when we trust in Jesus Christ. Why did the Holy Spirit come with a rushing mighty wind or tongues of fire? Why? Because God wanted us to have a sign of his coming and of the Holy Spirit's character of what he's going to do. God's given us some symbols to help us know what the Holy Spirit's like through pages of Scripture, of course. And of course, one of those symbols is a dove. Remember that? And we see that symbol in all four of the Gospels. For example, in John 1, 32 to 33, John the Baptist said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him, and I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water told, said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit as a dove to show us that with all of his strength and power that he has, he also has a gentle and peaceful nature that we can rely on. The dove's a good symbol of the Holy Spirit. But here God uses the wind and the fire and the Holy Spirit's like the wind, you know? Wow. He's independent. The wind is independent, you know. Can you control the wind? No, you can't control the wind. And it's kind of invisible, isn't it? Other than seeing the trees blow or something. It's, most of the time God prefers to work behind the scenes. That's part of it. That's powerful? Yeah. Holy Spirit came as a rushing mighty wind, and we've seen what that can do, haven't we, in many places. But the Holy Spirit is also like a fire to, <laughs> to purify and to give light. It lights up things when you see a fire, doesn't it? Jerry Shirley asked, why is this Holy Spirit symbolized by fire? Because one of his great ministries is to burn the impurities out of our life. But first, the fire shines the light of our sinfulness on it and brings us to our conviction. And, and, and this is still, this is that still small voice that's inside of us that, that makes us uncomfortable when we're doing something we shouldn't be doing, right? John R. Rice was a pastor and preacher, and after being saved for many years, Dr. Rice was asked if he'd gotten to the place where he didn't sin any longer. <laughs> Dr. Rice replied, no, no, not at all, but I've gotten to the place where I can't enjoy it anymore. <laughs> you see, true Christians cannot be content with known sin in our lives. We can't be, because the Holy Spirit will bring us under that conviction and try to burn it out of us. That's part of the fire, friends. Andrew Clark talked about the tongues of fire. And today we need this illuminating fire in this dark world that we're living in today. We need that. We hope that people will see the light of Christ shining from us as we walk, whether it's in school or in, at work or down the street or at the grocery store or wherever. And it's amazing how much light. Have you ever saw this, you know, if the power went out or anything? How much light the smallest candle can give off in a really dark area? 
they can give off quite a bit. And when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, yeah, it, it should light up any room when we enter it. It should. <laughs> our character should be attractive because we know God and He lives His life in and through us and what we do. That's how we should be attractive to others. Today, we also need a spreading of that fire. You know, we kind of witnessed that in the uh, thing that went on back, or where was it? The, uh, I forget now the name of it. It starts with an A. But <laughs> or, you know, I don't know if any of you watched the Jesus Revolution movie, but <laughs> it's kind of brought back a lot of memories to me, boy, I tell you. <laughs> today, we need that spreading fire. You know, so many people see the church today as just irrelevant to, to, to their lives because Maybe sometimes it is irrelevant, but not really. The church is not irrelevant, not if it's living and working and doing the things God has put you there for. But because church sometimes has lost its fire, the, the fire that attracts people, we need that fire to attract others. We need to share that fire, show it, you know, let it light up everywhere we go. We need that transforming power of God's Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit certainly transformed the apostles, didn't it? George Renault said, The Holy Spirit took a group of fishermen, former prostitutes, ex-religious leaders, tax collectors, and various family members and other disciples and formed them into a united group that we call the church. Hmm. Friends, we're all part of the church. After the Pentecost fire fell, they were united as one, as never before in history. Nothing earlier that week that welded, there was nothing that welded them together like that fire of that one united force. It took the fire of God's Spirit to do that. God sent the Holy Spirit with a rushing, mighty wind and tongues of fire. Why? Because he wanted us to have the signs of the Holy Spirit's coming. The wind and fire were great demonstrations of God's power. But there was more. There was more. We also see the churches miraculously speaking in other languages. In verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. Why did God send this miraculous speaking thing in other languages? It, it was a, you see, it was another great sign of his care for all the nations, all people, no matter who you are or where you come from. It, it, it started, in verse 4 it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. And five, then we go on. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, 
those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, and, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Because of the Jewish feast of Pentecost, many thousands of people came there from all over the world and gathered in Jerusalem. And though they were all Jews, they spoke a lot of different languages. You've got to understand that. And verse 5 tells us that they were reverent religious men, devout people. They were good people. Not, not everybody, you know, was off track there. But the thing of it is that he's trying to show us here, everybody, no matter where you come from, needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Nobody is good enough to go to heaven without trusting in the cross of Jesus Christ. And God did not want these men to miss the New Testament message of salvation. So he miraculously gave the early church this gift to speak in foreign languages. Now, some of, you know, I know we've all heard you know, some of the Pentecostal churches um, have kind of misinterpreted what happened on Pentecost. They teach that tongues are a sign of salvation and that you're not saved unless you have the evidence of speaking in tongues. But the Bible doesn't say that. God's Word doesn't say that. It doesn't say that the new Christians that were listening spoke in tongues. In verse 7 and 8, it says, they speak and we hear. They heard. So the real message of tongues on Pentecost is that God loves his lost people. He loves people of every tongue, tribe, and nation. So he wants everyone to hear about Jesus Christ, to hear. God loves us, friends. He loves you so much. He does. And he proved it for all times when he died on that cross for all of us, for our sins. And even this special gift of languages was a powerful demonstration of his love. And Pentecost matters because it was a great demonstration of God's power again. But also because it was a demonstration of God's pardon. We see this truth in verse 11 to 21. It's the first time the gospel was preached after Jesus went back to heaven. And Peter preached in power. As we, and as we go through this chapter further, we will see that 3,000 people were saved that day. Wouldn't that be amazing to witness something like that? But we realize today that this was a sensational message, wasn't it? The amazed people said, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. God's done so many wonderful works if you just open your eyes and look for them in our lives. Today, he wants us to hear about these wonderful works. He does. That's why he gave us the scripture. Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost was sensational, but it was also, also sensible. It made sense. Verses 12 through 15 says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? And of course, there were others mocking you know, and said, ah, they're just full of new wine. <laughs> but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. 
For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it only is the third hour of the day. The mockers were being illogical <laughs> because they refused to believe. See that anywhere today? Hmm, possibly, yeah. You see, the gospel always seems foolish to people like that, doesn't it? It does. But when we listen with an open heart, a true open heart to hear what God's speaking to you, nothing makes more sense than the good news of Jesus Christ. Peter's sermon was a sensible message, and it was a scriptural message. Because then Peter went on and said, 16 through 20, But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and notable day of the Lord. That quote from the Old Testament book of Joel reminds us that God's prophecies will be fulfilled. They will be. If, and understand this, if God says something, it's going to happen. You can count on it. If God says something, it's going to happen. It's, we can count on every word that he has put in the Bible, in the scripture. But what about verse 20? The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and notable day of the Lord. Well, you know what? The sun was darkened on, on the day that Jesus died on the cross, wasn't it? And if the Lord wants to do it again, well, it'd be easier for him to do that than for us to just go back and, or go over and turn off the light switch. That'd be easier for him. You see, nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. And if his word says something is going to happen, it is going to happen. Believe it. Peter's sermon was a scriptural message, and it was a saving message. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, in verse 21. Aren't you glad for the gospel? Aren't you? I mean, just listen to a few of the scriptures that sum it up. Of course, we sang the song at the beginning of the thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Colossians, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven have made peace through the blood of his cross. 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed, in on, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. 
And then here in Acts 2.21, it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Dear friends, this message is desperately needed today everywhere, everywhere, just as much as it was on the day of Pentecost over 2,000 years ago. And God wants us to do everything we can, everything we can, to help spread that gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here today. That's what God's calling us to. You see, Pentecost matters today because it was a new dispensation in God's plan, what he's doing in this world. And it matters today because it was a great demonstration of God's power. He shows us what he can do and that when he says it, it's going to happen. And it, was, it matters because it was a bold declaration of God's pardon. He gave us forgiveness through dying on the cross for us. Always remember this. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen, right? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just come before you this morning. You are amazing in the things you set before us. May we open our eyes and our heart to see those things and understand them better, Father. Give us the wisdom we need to burn our fire brightly, Father, for you. May we carry that witness to others throughout where we're at. It doesn't matter. And I just pray, Father, that your guidance and your blessing be upon everyone here this day, that your fire would burn in each one, Father. I say this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.